Hello and welcome to part two of the Fincher Countdown from Some Like It Scott. I'm your host Scott Harvey and today on the podcast we will be losing the game because we are going to be reviewing David Fincher's 1997 thriller The Game. And by we, I of course mean myself and the Countdown crew, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. How are you guys? Oh, I'm good, Scott. Yeah, I'm uh, living living the dream over here. Uh, you could say that I, I'm not quite. I've not quite yet re- reached the heights of Nicholas Van Orton le- levels of uh, relaxation in the home as he kicks back and watches the 11 p.m. news every night. I guess after he gets off of work, but uh, I'm having a good time. All things considered, it is you know we are still in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, it, even though some people seem to have forgotten that. But nevertheless. Things roll on. New world order is is adjusted to. And we still watch movies. So there you go. Tell oh, us I about mo- the addition theater. to your family. How about that? Yeah, I guess I guess we didn't talk about... I, did we even talk about this on the on the Sun Like It's Got podcast? I don't even remember. You, you made a vague reference of like, a big event is happening in my life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, yes, I have a new puppy. So as if I have another puppy. I have a puppy now. <laughs> I have a puppy now and it is... And it has, it has a very prolific Instagram, so... No, prolific might be too strong of a word, but it has an Instagram. I'm in saying it. prolific in the sense that there are a lot of posts already. Yeah, it's one per day. Um, yeah. one, one per day, so sure. we're off to a great start over there. And generally speaking, she's a very good puppy, so I really have not too much to complain about. But if you hear any barks or any growls in the background, it's because she's upset that I'm not giving her attention. Jay, how about you? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay, all things considered. Um, I'm very invested in Scott's Corgi, uh, hence <laughs> me bringing it up, uh, and the prolific Instagram. That is uh, one of the big things keeping me going right now. It's great. It's it's always one of life's great humbling experiences when you look and see that like a dog Instagram account has more followers than you. I, I don't think that Charlie's is there yet, but no. uh, there are absolutely many 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 dog instagrams out there that have more followers than oh sure oh, yeah. so, so like i said very humbling experience if you ever start to think more of yourself than you you probably should just remember that fact yeah mad max fluffy road has in the millions of followers for sure okay we'll edit that out um <laughs> okay guys but anyway we will without... not be editing any of that out it's fine. <laughs> we're leaving it in unfortunately scott is the one with the editing control here so but, uh <laughs> Without further ado, guys, let's press play and get to our review of The Game. The Game centers on wealthy businessman Nicholas Van Orton, played by Michael Douglas, who, despite his affluence, is a lonely and hard-hearted man at the beginning of the film. But on his birthday, Nicholas gets a strange present from his loose cannon brother, Conrad, played by Sean Penn, a voucher for a vague game that Conrad promises will change Nicholas's life. On a whim, Nicholas applies for the game, but before he knows it, his life is thrown into turmoil, and he begins to fear for his business and eventually his own safety. When Nicholas meets a waitress played by Deborah Unger that he believes has also become a pawn in the game, the two must escape the sinister corporation in charge of the game and unmask the conspiracy for what it is. Now, guys, none of us have actually seen this film before, so we can skip right over our past experiences with the game and get right to our general impressions on this first watch. Jay, what did you think of Fincher's twisty thriller? I did not like this movie. Uh, I did not like this movie at all. I should not say at all, because I think up until about the one hour, one hour, ten mark, 
I was actually like really enjoying myself. I, I had read just a, you know a very short blur about what the movie was about, you know the, the way it like took off. I was like I was with it, um, and then in the second hour, it just completely lost me. Um, I, I I did not find myself enjoying it at all, and I by, by the end I was very upset that I had watched this movie. Wow, uh, so I'm guessing it's going to be like a six point five for Jay when we get to our scores. But Scott, <laughs> how did you feel about this movie? Yo, we're always gonna get a couple good jokes on this podcast because there's always Jay's yeah. reviews. Just, just just for context, Fight Club was a six point five. Um, oh, okay. Well, so six point four. Then here we go. That, okay. that is the countdown crew drinking game. That that is something on the countdown crew drinking the game. Bing, right yeah, the, yeah, the bingo. We make, we make a joke about Jay's rating scale, but no, this movie is not worse than Fight Club. Come on, Scott. Oh, yes, it is. I think. I think. To to make it's so funny we haven't even reviewed Fight Club yet in the in the, in the order of this podcast release so we <laughs> maybe haven't, we haven't yeah people yeah. won't know yeah you won't know until you listen to the next episode whether we've watched Fight Club before this or not um, but I I will say uh, to not make any references to Fight Club just for linearity linearity purposes here I I think this film has a lot of things going for it I think this film also hits a brick wall in the third act. And like, if you look up third act problems in, in the, in the film dictionary, th this film is like a, the dictionary definition of a third act problem. And I really enjoyed some of the performances. I think Michael Douglas is like perfectly cast in this role. I mean, he already had like the street cred of like, I mean, wall street was before this, right? Like well before this. Yeah. So, yeah. I was, I was going to bring up the point. Like he did this type of movie, like, he was the guy for this type of movie. Oh, totally. 90s. 100%. Like, disclosure, basic instinct, a yeah, perfect murder, instinct. like all of these like like adult like classy sort of thrillers that that came yeah. out in the 90s like he was in all of them. Yeah. I mean basic instinct he was a cop I guess a little bit different. But I mean definitely like, look at what like it's like this like Nicholas Van Orton is basically just like a 30 years later Gordon Gecko <laughs> uh, who just realized that he's depressed and hates his like hates his life and is bored or whatever uh but no I, I think it's perfect casting i think the performance is really good i think the first you know two-thirds of this film half of this film is like really entertaining i mean like it really feels like i mean it's weird to reference this but like i was watching like it had very like most dangerous game vibes to it right and you know i'm a big fan of that short story i thought that what quibi did with that earlier this year was like fine not perfect i don't think that story is perfectly suited to that sort of format in like the eight minute chunks every day but i loved the vibe that it gave off there this like secretive corporation that exists kind of not really you don't really know what's going on here like i i loved the the world of this film and the context that that this film set up and boy oh boy i think i'm you know as, as much as i can praise that and i think it's really strong for the first hour two-thirds of the film I do think that this, I mean, this film just drives off a cliff in the last third for me. Like, I, I just think that it completely, it completely lost itself. And uh, like, I don't think Fincher or the writers knew what they were doing with the story. Well, it's funny that you say that because Fincher himself actually talking about this film in the years following said he was not happy with it. And in particular that the third act, he couldn't figure out what he wanted to do with it. And he was yeah, not happy true. with with how the film with how the third act of the film ended up michael yeah. douglas on the other hand has some comments saying like hey i actually like this movie because it's one of the one, only movies where you can't guess the twist uh and not to rip a band-aid off super early about this but scott i'm like 
I'm surprised that you don't really dislike this movie because there's just no way you can see anything, well, anything what's going on in this film. That, and that was the point I was about to make. He says that, first of all, I'm not sure that it's like that impossible to guess like he's saying. But second of all, if it is, that's not a good thing as we've talked about in the past, right? Like the there, there needs to be clues throughout the movie, uh, you know, hinting to us that the twist is coming. And I actually think that there are, there are some clues like that about what the what the reveal ultimately is. So that's why I I come I don't come down like super negative on the movie. Uh I just I think Michael Douglas is just wrong when he says that. But um <laughs> I, I I'm more in Scott's camp here. I, I do think I'm the most positive on the movie. Like I do enjoy the film. Um I, I have to say for Jay for Jay's sake, um you'll hear when you listen to Fight Club, this is actually our third episode that we're recording. We did some stuff out of order, but uh, the movies get really good after this. That's that's what I will say. Uh, so stick with it. Um, I know we're, we're not on the Nolan level yet, maybe, but um, we, we've got some good ones coming down the pipeline after this. But yeah, this movie, it, I, I enjoy it. And I think Scott said the right word, which is entertaining, right? I think that's all it's setting out to be. Like, I think our conversation here is going to be fairly surface level for most of the time unlike we have had um maybe with past films you know in especially the nolan, the nolan series, series even yeah. in even in this series like uh and you know we will we will have moving forward maybe not with panic room the next film but moving forward with stuff like the social network and zodiac we will have deeper conversations in this series but this is not trying to be something super meaningful or or anything like that um i think that this is just you know uh, an escapist thriller and it works, uh, you know, for the most part. It it is entertaining. I think it has a sort of Hitchcockian paranoia conspiracy type thing that's almost a throwback to like '70s conspiracy thrillers when those were really big in like the '70s. Um, with Michael Douglas as like this man who just keeps getting tied deeper and deeper into this web. Um, and I agree. I think he's really good in the movie. Like, there's a reason why he was chosen for this type of role very often in the 90s and it's because you know he looks the part he he acts the part of th i think he is really strong and you know even in some of his lower tier entries which i do think this is uh i think david fincher can still hook you with the movie and um while i agree that he he loses the plot a little bit in the end and i have some questions about uh the the, the final twist i guess I, I, there's probably one twist too many um in the end. Um, and I definitely have some questions about that, how, where we end up at the end of the movie. But um, I think the that the ride is enjoyable enough to where I I do think this is, you know, a cut above others in the genre, even if it's not on the level of, you know, most of Fincher's other work, certainly not of something like Seven, um, which, you know, we talked about in the initial episode. But, you know, I'm not sorry I watched it, unlike Jay. <laughs> Just keep calling me out. I, I'm I'm sticking to this. No, this, I'm not. I'm the, not the calling second half of this movie drove off a cliff, as Scott said, and yeah, I'm I not, it, like you know into a dumpster and caught fire. <laughs> I'm not calling you out. I'm just saying you do have the most negative opinion of any of us on the panel. So I'm just contrasting my own opinion. Yeah. Let's talk about the cast. Uh, Scott and I have already hinted uh, our thoughts on on Michael Douglas, who's the lead here. But I, you know, we have some other players uh, who have somewhat you know, large to small roles. I, I actually think Deborah Unger is probably the second biggest role in the movie. Um, even though Sean Penn obviously gets the second billing, he's really not in the movie very much. And another interesting sort of background thing on the game is that they, they originally wanted Jodie Foster um, to be the Sean Penn role. But, and, and I think they were going to be like 
and Sean Penn was going to be Deborah Unger. No, I think that uh, <laughs> I think that uh, Jodie Foster was going to be his daughter. Was going to be Michael Douglas's daughter. But they actually didn't decided not to do that because, well, first of all, Jodie Foster was doing Contact and couldn't it didn't work with her schedule. But they also kind of abandoned that because they thought that she was too big of a star at the time to put in a role that was a legitimate supporting role, which obviously Sean Penn's role here is. Like I said, he's really not in the movie very much. And he wasn't a huge star at the time. Like he'd been in stuff, sure, but he wasn't on Jodie Foster's level for sure in the in, at this point in the mid 90s but yeah um, and deborah unger's audition for the role of you know christine or whatever the character's name is was a test drill consisting of a two-minute right. sex scene from crash yep. so it's a yeah real I, diversity. I, I i read that and i but i forgot it but i'm glad that you you brought it up but yeah but uh yeah so so she kind of has the second biggest role obviously sean penn is in there james rebhorn is the the kind of guy who works for crs the the game company um Shout out uh, Mark Boone Jr. showing up yet again uh, in another film that we do for the Countdown series. He was in Seven, and he, of course, he was in multiple Nolan films. Uh, and, and, and as always, there's some sort of like shady police or private investigator. He was, yeah, he was only in it for like one minute, but um, that was yeah. that was funny to see him again. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if there's anyone else who sort of has a major role here, but um, Jay, I'll start with you um, again. What did you think about the cast, in particular Michael Douglas in the lead, um, and anyone else from the supporting cast that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have a problem with any of the performances. I actually did uh, really enjoy them. Um, I'll agree with you and say, yeah, Michael Douglas is probably perfectly cast. I don't think I'd actually seen him in anything else, um, other than like the the MCU movies that he's shown up in, strangely. But um, I, I very much bought into his performances. I mean, and again, like the the other main two supporting roles that you mentioned, again, I, I thought were like good. Deborah Unger was good. Sean Penn, fellow Santa Monica high school alum, shout out, you know, I, I thought in his limited work was also uh, like really good. That scene where they're, uh, he's arguing with Michael Douglas as they like, you know, are running down the stairs and he's saying, you know, you're a part of this and whatnot. And they get into that big, you know, spat. Uh, I really did enjoy it. Yeah, I, it's and it's interesting that you you mentioned the MCU thing because like he Michael Douglas really does hasn't done that many movies recently, um, and that's why I bring up that he was like a big star in the '90s because I think like yeah if 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 you like don't watch like a ton of films from this era like you might not know who he who really is outside of you know like you said the Ant Man films, but um, I, I think that. Uh, yeah, for whatever reason, he doesn't do that many movies anymore, but he was a, a huge star at this time. He already won an Academy Award. Obviously, his father is a famous actor as well, Kirk Douglas. Um, but uh, yeah, Scott, Scott, what do you think about uh, the cast here, Michael Douglas at all? Yeah, I think Michael Douglas is the real standout. I think that the entirety of the film hinges on whether or not you think this character is believable, whether you think that his performance of this like I have no idea what's going on and I'm completely lost and it, just as lost in all of this as the, as the viewer is like, you have to, you have to buy into that and that performance has to be really believable. And I think that it is, I think that he nails it really well. And frankly, I don't think anyone else really stands out for me in this film. Like sure. Deborah Unger's fine. Sean Penn doesn't have much to do. I do like James Rebhorn. I will say that. I like James. Yeah, Rebhorn. He's really good. Yeah. Um, he's, he's really good. But again, I mean, he only has a few or really just like a like five minutes on screen. Like he has a little bit more than some of the other supporting roles, but not much more. So overall, it really relies a lot on Michael Douglas. And 
look, he I think he carries the film for as long as long as he can. And um, and I like, well, we'll jump in more of my detail, my thoughts on on where it loses itself. But as far as the casting goes, like I think a lot of weight was put on Michael Douglas to carry the film. And I think he carries it really well. Yeah, I mean, like I said up front, he kind of just has like the, he has the scummy look about him a little bit. Um, like he looks like the scummy billionaire before he's ever even opened his mouth. And so I think he's he's good for the That's role. Probably the association from just with so many other roles like it. But. Right. I mean, yeah, Wall Street. Uh, you mentioned Scott back in the mid '80s. That was the role that he really made his name on, won an Oscar for, and. I mean, he's playing the epitome of, of a scummy rich guy in that movie and Gordon Gecko. But um, yeah, I think he he's really good. Like, because you're not really supposed to like him at the start of the movie. Um, and and I don't think that um, he, you know, he makes it him likable or anything at the start of the movie. Like, I think he, he does what he's supposed to do in, in this first part of the movie. But then there's, you know, as he gets drawn further into this web, there's like, hey, does he really, you know, deserve this? And um you know, he's starting to have some, you know, realizations and, and stuff about his life. And obviously we believe him like, he, you know, he, he's he has all of these sort of conspiracies about the game and everything. And we believe him because we've seen all of it. Um, but nobody else really believes him because they're not they haven't seen it in the same way that we have. So we kind of connect with him in that way because he's just a guy who's trying to, like, get the truth out there and no one will believe him. Uh, but, you know, obviously we, we believe him cause we, we can see what the truth is. So I think he does that, that role really, really well. And I like how he, you know, comes, becomes more unhinged as the movie goes on, right. As the game starts to, to wear on him as it naturally would on anybody. I mean, it, it takes over his entire life. And um, I think, uh, you know, he, he, he hits the right notes in terms of like when he, when he uh, is higher, when he's a little bit higher pitched and um, when he gives it a little more oomph is when, you know, his life is start starting to spiral out of control outside of him. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think Deborah Unger does, does the job. I mean, her character is, is an interesting one. I think like it, there's some twists and turns with the character that you're not expecting necessarily. Um, and so I think she does a, decent enough job of like hiding the ball, you know, of not giving away maybe her, her true nature, you know, what the, the twists ultimately are involving this character. Um, and yeah, I, th I do think James Rebhorn makes an impression in his, his few scenes. Um, yeah, but, but you're right. Like Michael Douglas is who this movie, it, it is on his shoulders. Um, and, yeah, his star power carries it a long way. The, the, the one person I do want to mention that I forgot to mention is uh, the great Armin Mueller Stahl, who is plays a, a, a mob boss in one of my favorite movies, um, Eastern Promises. And here he's the guy who uh, is like the fired employee or whatever that Michael Douglas fires. Um, and I think he has has as has a good couple scenes. He's a good character actor. But yeah, um, that's the cast. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, the the set pieces go, we do like to usually spend a minute talking about sort of the technical aspects of the film. Uh, obviously, Howard Shore providing another score, just as he did um, for Seven, another sort of piano-led uh, score. Maybe, I don't know if you want to mention that or, or not, but there's a lot of set pieces in this movie, right? Because a lot of the movie is just kind of one chase. Like, he is, um, you know, trying to escape the, the game masters and... Uh, trying to protect this Christine woman and, you know, just find Conrad, all of this stuff. Um, and so th there's a lot of interesting set pieces. And I'd be interested to know if if there are any that stood out 
to you guys. Um, Scott, I'll start with you. Set pieces that stand out. I mean, I guess the one that comes to mind, if you're just talking about like more traditional set pieces, is the one where he goes to, you know, the apartment or house that Christina's staying in, and there's this big sort of got to escape the house as these like this like basically borderline SWAT unit approaches the house. Mm-hmm. They are um, you know, they've got automatic rifles and do they have like tear gas or smoke grenades? I can't remember. They have other stuff too, I feel like. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think that like that's an interesting scene because I feel like that's the point where you're like you didn't realize this this movie was going to be that kind of movie. <laughs> yeah. Um when all of a sudden you have this kind of scene popping out of nowhere it feels like. And so I think that it was like fine Honestly, I don't know if the set pieces make that big of an impression on me, because, again, I felt like a lot of the things that I liked about the film was like the atmosphere of the film more than like individual scenes or individual moments. I liked the world that was being established. I like the scenes where basically Michael Douglas is just trying to figure out what's going on more than he's trying to like escape from a particular situation that he's found himself in that was just my experience with the film i think the set pieces again are fine but not the thing that i'm going to remember a week two weeks three weeks from now yeah i hate to be lame here but pretty much everything scott said is exactly what i felt i mean in terms of i i don't don't find any of the action set pieces to be particularly memorable and if i had to pick one it probably would have been that one because you know it served as the turning point uh again like for me uh, or at least in terms like my expectations of what kind of film this is going to be as well um, I will speak a little bit too, just like right before all that starts, like uh, what might be my favorite scene is when he's uh, he's in the house with her before, you know, all the shooting has started, you know, he's like realizing what a setup this is like the freezer, yeah. and the fridge is empty and the photos from a newspaper and like him and the books are fake and all like just like, like as the tension builds, and the music starts to, you know, creep in like that, you know, is really like the kind of stuff that uh, worked for me, you know, in the first half and ultimately like, you know, what I'm going to remember in Scott, I think is kind of what you mean when you're talking about like the atmosphere yeah absolutely i think that's i think that's spot on uh i completely agree with that the, like this movie builds tension really well like like don't don't make any mistake about it like this even even though i think it's a bit of a letdown at the end in the third act like throughout the first half two-thirds of the film like it's building tension really effectively and a lot of that is coming from these moments that aren't actually i mean that you look back at them and you realize oh they are set pieces but like these like more traditional set pieces those aren't the moments where i feel like the best tension is built like I didn't feel that much tension, honestly, because I'm like, they are not going to get shot by these automatic rifles. But when you have this like creeping, like realization that something is not right in the film, whether it's, you know, the scene that Jay is talking about, obviously the the break in scene in Michael Douglas's home with like all the black light paint or whatever, like you mentioned. Yeah, like these scenes are really effective at building tension, but they are not traditional set pieces. I think that you could still call them set pieces, but they're not traditional set pieces. Yeah, and I actually think that's a good comparison point to Seven right there, right? Because Seven has the one action set piece, right? Like yeah. the one chase sequence where they, they go to the apartment and everything. But, you know, you could argue that the most effective parts are just like the, again, the the atmospheric, the creeping scenes, like the the guy yeah. who you don't realize is alive and then he wakes up and, you know, he's he you see that he's still alive yeah. and just like the... Yeah observing some of the the crime scenes like that those are kind of the most effective moments at building tension right that's the the phrase that you use and i think that's something is that fincher is really good at and even here in this movie if you you know even if you're not like the biggest fan of the movie like i think he does um spin a pretty tight web in that first you know half two-thirds of the movie whatever you want to call it um And And it's neat because the way he builds tension, I think he builds them in similar context, exactly what you're saying, but he almost uses different techniques to build tension because 
I think in seven, it's your it's more building tension out of just like kind of just how repulsive these like crime scenes are and, and how uncomfortable they make you. And yes, I think in the game, the scenes are making you uncomfortable, but through a different mechanism, like through this idea of I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going to be around the next corner. And, and I think it's all really effective. Yeah, and I I did want to mention the blacklight scene. I think that probably is my favorite scene as well to to give myself away. I, I do think it's really sort of creepy and creative, and they are. I like they they use the uh, White Rabbit, the Jefferson Airplane song for the the scene. I thought that was a really um, effective song. That's about taking mushrooms, so it it sort of adds to the whole eerie like drug trip feel of the scene. But also like this is also kind of a turning point, right? Because like. At this point, nowhere is safe for him, right? Like, you know, he he might think that he can go back to his big cushy mansion with his housekeeper, you know, the whatever her name is, and that he's going to at least be safe from the game and everything there. But then it's like, no, you know, no, nowhere is safe. This game has come for everything, come for, you know, everything in his life. Um, and, you know, he's just going to have to keep running. Um, and so I think that's, that's a big crucial scene. And I, I think they they nailed it with a really sort of creepy scene. And so I, I liked that one a lot, but um, moving on to the plot, like, you know, like I said, we're going to keep it probably a little surface level, but I think the big question here is just sort of what is the game, right? Because um, it's very vague, uh, you know, throughout the entire movie, really what the game is like, even when it's first pitched, like Conrad is like, it's a game. Like he doesn't say anything really more than that. And, um, Obviously, you know, once he applies for the game or whatever, gets gets rejected and then all of this stuff starts happening, it's hard to like parse out, well, what part of this is a game, right? Like what is supposed to be fun? And then at the end of the movie, there's a little bit of explanation of like, and we can get into the, the twists and the spoilers and everything now. There's a little bit of explanation of, of, of by Conrad of like, oh, here's why I did this. Like, here's what you got out of this whole or we're supposed to get out of this whole game thing. But, I, you know, I guess I'd just be curious to hear what you guys think about sort of what is the idea of the game? And at the end of the movie, what has Michael Douglas learned from the game? Like in a, in a positive way, because obviously at the end of the movie, everybody's all happy and Hey, happy birthday. And, you know, um, and I, I don't know, it just feels a little weird to me. Like, huh. So we're supposed to just believe that because it, the whole thing was a game that, you know, we're all just okay with what happened here. Like, um, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I was having trouble seeing maybe what Michael Douglas was getting out of this game and how his character was ultimately changed by the game in the end. But what do you guys think about that, Jay? Yeah, I mean, maybe this might be my biggest problem with the film um, is, is, is that like I don't have an answer to that. And I don't think anyone I could come up with is a good one because you think about like the lengths that they like pushed this guy to, you know, like he's going to have like, in my mind, like severe PTSD of like enclosed spaces and heights and like loud noises for like, and maybe getting into cat. I don't know for like the rest of his life, you know, and, and the, the explanation, I guess that's thrown out at the end, like doesn't make me feel if anything, like I, I wanted to like throw something at my TV when he said that I was like, there are like other ways to like, do what you claim this was or like deal with what you claim what this was about and it was again like i guess like haha it was a game like none of it was real like everything's fine but like 
yeah, I don't know. It, it, it made absolutely no sense to me. Like you, you pushed this person to like such a dark place. Like when they were willing to like, not willing, like they, they, I mean, I guess willing, whatever. Like they were, they were throwing themselves off a roof. Yeah. You know? And like, thankfully that he threw himself off that specific part of the roof too. Right. Because like five feet to the left or right. And like this movie has a completely different ending. I do love that. He was like, um, that James Reborn was like, I was going to have to push you if you didn't jump or whatever. But no, I, I, I think that was kind of funny, but yeah, like it, I mean, so yeah, I don't know. There's, there, there's, there's so much like that you kind of just have to like roll with in terms of like, they're not actually going to get shot with these automatic weapons. And somehow he was like always going to escape from the cab and all like every like precarious situation they put him in. He was always going to notice all these details and there's just all these like sins of convenience. Right. But it's like, okay, fine. It's a movie. Like I'm trying to roll with it, but like by the end, I'm so unwilling to be like, okay, like this is how like we, you know, I don't know. I feel like I just steamrolled into just like a pit of anger at this point, but yeah, I don't know. I, the the long and short of it is like I I don't buy any explanation. I, I don't know what the point of that was, other than to play a very mean prank on someone that I don't think actually altered him for the better. If anything, I could see him. I wouldn't be surprised. This obviously isn't how they play it. If he like ends up being like ten times more of a dick in life as a result of this. Yeah. Really? Because that's not that's not at all what I took took away from from the end of the film. I mean, I'm I'll, that's not that's not how they played it at all. Like he definitely like you know. Can't, he didn't come out of it like that but i'm saying like that that to me would have been even a more believable end than him just being like okay and then also right. you know let me ask out this girl like who by the way also says yes which i thought was bizarre but whatever because that's the explanation right is like he's like oh i wanted you to like value the things in your life more like i wanted you to think about the things that are like meaningful to you in your life or whatever and value those more but like the experiences that he's been through like i don't think that's what you would get out of it right like, to, to like your, a bunch yeah, of ptsd your, is what you're gonna get out of it that's like it. i think i think i would be look at conrad be like no f you dude like you literally minutes earlier made me think that i had just like killed my brother um like I'm not that that doesn't make me think, oh, wow, I should really value my relationship with my brother a little bit more. It makes me think, wow, you're an absolute jerk for like putting me up to this, um, you know, and your motivations were were not good enough. But here's what I will say, like as sort of a counterpoint, like I agree there there are definitely plot holes. And when you sit here and think about them, it's you know, it can be a little bit glaring. And that's why, you know, we were talking about beforehand, I like downgraded my letterbox review a little bit on this. Uh, because once you do sit back and, and think about it, I think some of it does come apart. But I think there is something to be said for the fact that Fincher, he just like keeps everything moving. Like he keeps the train moving the whole time so that you can't really like slow down and stop and think about, oh, hey, like there's, uh, this doesn't really make that much sense until, you know, like the movie is over, you've had time to take a breather and then like think think back on it. At that point, I think is when it starts to, to come apart. But I think Fincher at least does a decent job of like keep, keeping the movie fast paced, keep continuously just throwing new challenges and things at Nicholas so that you don't have time necessarily to stop, take that breather and realize, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't exactly add up. Scott, what do you think? I will say that this film totally comes apart when he wakes up in freaking Mexico. And that's, and that's also about? where I think the pace completely dies. So I disagree with your point yeah. there too. Like, I think like, you know, there's like what feels like, and it probably wasn't exactly 15 minutes of just like eerie piano music and him just kind of stumbling <laughs> around trying to figure out what's going on. And I'm so bored and just like incredulous at this point. 
Sorry, Scott, I, I didn't mean to just jump in there, but since you I brought up know, Mexico, I'm glad you did. I wouldn't go as far to say is that I was necessarily bored, but yeah. it is the moment where he woke up in Mexico where I feel like, you know, inter third act, right? Like it's, it's, we got, a, we got big problems on our, on our hands all of a sudden because they clearly didn't really know what to do with it. Cause I actually honestly thought like everything was pretty good, like if not, if not great up to that point. And, look like I was on board with the twist that happened right there where he thought he could trust Christine. But then I think especially when they're taking this like road trip out into this cabin, like it becomes really, to me, it became very clear. You're talking about leaving breadcrumbs before you get to a twist. Uh, like it became clear that what they were doing is that he was giving his like bank password to her. Like I didn't know exactly how they're doing it, but that's definitely how it was going down in my mind. And so again, like getting the breadcrumbs to be able to see the twists that are coming, I think it all checks out. And then as soon as he wake up in Mexico, I'm just like, whoa, what just happened? How did we get all the way yeah, here? It, yeah, it, it's it's definitely a, a wild turn for the movie to take. But yeah. then again, like he he to to offer another counterpoint, I guess, he like gets out of Mexico pretty quickly, right? Like it's like 10 minutes and he's he's back. So yeah, yes, maybe you scratch your head and are like, why did that like why did we even need that in the movie? But again, I think ten he minutes is, in Mexico for this film is ten minutes too long. Yeah, he is keeping you moving forward. I, I mean, I agree. They should they should yeah. not have left left that in. But I I am trying to give Fincher some some credit here because I think that he under he also understands what the problems with this film are, and that maybe he is not as responsible as as other parties as maybe the the writers here. But um, maybe. Maybe, but uh, yeah. Either way, you know, he's the director. He gets to he gets to bear the burden of those of yeah. that cross. Unfortunately, whether it's whether it's his fault uh, or otherwise. But I, I think all that having said, like we, going back and talking about some of these, some of the 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 meaning of the game, right? Like the meaning of the game is like, well, the way I read it in like the most optimistic lens is like it's supposed to be this tale of redemption, right? Like that that's what it's ultimately about. It's about like almost some sort of like weird like a Christmas Carol type redemptive experience mm-hmm. for this like big kind of grumpy Scrooge guy who is unhappy with his life. And it's not clear that he makes like everyone else around him miserable, but I think that's certainly what you're supposed to get out of this whole like uh, Anson bear part where he's just going to fire this guy who, you know, has been loyal to him for, for years and years. And so it, it feels like there's, it's this like two hour adventure journey uh, version of Christmas Carol almost. And the redemption at the end is like asking this girl on a date. Like it's it's really it's like really poorly done at, at the end, in in my opinion. Like not not only does like that third act, I think, lose lose you in terms of the number of twists that it's taking. I think Scott says one twist too far. I think that's fair. I, I think even by the time the final twist happens, I just feel like I'm like totally like my mind is just like totally reeling from like twist after twist that keeps happening. So I, I might even say it's it's more than one twist too far, but uh, de- definitely one twist way too far. I would 100 percent agree with that. And I think that one of the part, like the part that gets you the most is just like, not only do I feel like the number of twists happening here, like devalued, like the impact, but to the point that you guys are making, I'd echo that it's, it's devaluing the twist, but then also like actually how they execute, like the redemption of it at the end is like, actually doesn't really make any sense. Not only is it like a twist too far, but the resolution of the game and, and what, you know, Nick, Nick, Nicholas is supposed to have, you know, taken away from the game and everything that's happening. Like one, it happens so quickly. It's almost like too quick at the end as well. Um, and, and two, it, it doesn't as much as I think that Michael Douglas's performance is very believable all the way up until, you know, the final act of the film. I think that the film loses its believability and all these things that are happening so quickly 
in the final few minutes. And so I, I hear what the game, what the movie's trying to tell me what the game is about, but I don't feel it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. With, and when I say one twist too many, I think for me, like if it ends with him shooting Conrad and like Conrad actually dies, I think that's an interesting ending. And sure, you, you can even go on and say like, you know, after that, like, yeah, this was all a game. Like he, he set it up or whatever. Um, and yet he, well, I guess they had already said, revealed that at that point. Cause they were, well, cause there's, there's a really yeah. interesting meta narrative there. Yeah. I think if you just take it, if you, like you said, like if you just stop it right there, even if he killed, like, even if he jumps off the building and kills himself, like, I think there's this really interesting narrative, although I think you could leave that part out personally about like this, the point of the game to our knowledge at that point is like to make your life more interesting. If you're bored out of your mind, because you're so rich. And then, yeah. like, if if that game and that idea of making your life more interesting ends up in you killing your family member, like, that's an interesting narrative around, like, wealth and, like, the toxicity of that and what that leads to. But no, they completely erase that, which I think is yeah. the point. And, and, and that's when the movie, you know, becomes a problem to me. But, like, that ending would have been, like, it, it's so weird that this ending comes from the director of Seven, right? Like, Seven has, like, one of the most upsetting endings, like, ever in film. And I think that, you know, if he kills his brother and then jumps off the building and like commits suicide, yeah, that is more on par with the, that was, that is the type of ending you would expect from the director of seven. Uh, but no, I, I think, and, and again, Fincher seems to realize that, Hey, we, we lost the plot here. Maybe he wanted to, to give a happy ending because seven was so dark. I don't know, but, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's weird. And yeah, like, like I was saying earlier, like, I don't think that he reacts in the way that like, I, I don't see how like he can just go like, Oh, how I'm going to celebrate my birthday. Now I really appreciate that everyone is here. And it was all just a joke, whatever. Um, like I, I if I were him, I would have, you know, never talked to any of these people again, probably, um, you know, Christine included, but I do want to revisit the, what, what I brought up earlier uh, about Michael Douglas and his quote about sort of, I don't think that you can figure out the twist in the movie. And I don't know if, if y'all have any thoughts on that, you know, I've kind of said my piece that I think, I don't think that's true. I think there are some, some clues sprinkled in maybe throughout that, you know, everything is not right. And, and they even sort of like hint at that at the end when it's revealed, right. That it's all a game. Like there were always ways for him to survive, right? Like when he, when he drives in the taxi off of the, you know, into, into the water, there's the freaking tool or whatever that's in the car that allows him to like bust out the window and, and get out or whatever. Um, and so th it's like, there's always these little things that stop him from like that, that stop the ultimate catastrophe from happening. Um, so to me, like those are like maybe some small clues that like, hey, something's not right here. There's there's an artifice. This is still kind of a game. Uh, but I don't know. Do y'all do either of y'all? I'll just open it up to both of y'all. Do either of y'all have any thoughts about like, is this twist totally out of left field and like you, you couldn't guess that this is coming? Or is, you know, is it a little more effective than maybe Michael Douglas is giving it credit for? So just just to be clear, when you say this twist, we're talking about happy birthday, like right. the, the very the, last the fact twist, that the, right? the whole okay. thing is a game. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I agree in that, yeah, like, again, like, the, the fact that, you know, he, they they do kind of keep letting him get away, and again, the fact that they're not hitting him with automatic weapons, again, that, that was more of, like, I, I didn't necessarily see that immediately as, like, a, okay, this is definitely still a game, like, for, for a little bit, I was like, okay, fine, but then, I don't know, again, the fact, the fact that he wakes up in Mexico and isn't dead, based on everything that we've been told so far, again, is like, okay, like, like, this isn't real, and then, I mean, like, maybe this is me being nitpicky, and 
I, I've been thinking about whether or not I'm, if I'm understanding this correctly or not, but the, the final scene on the roof before he shoots Conrad, when she's all, when Deborah Unger's like, wait, like that's not the gun you're supposed to have. Like that's a real gun, but I'm like 99% sure that's a gun he was given to by them. And although he used it to shoot out a tire, like it's still a gun that he got from them. And in my mind, I'm like, this isn't real. Like, because like this whole, like, that's not the gun you're supposed to have. Like I, 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 I'm pretty sure that was a gun that was given to him by them. So I don't know, like, but it, that scene like didn't carry much for me. I mean, if he, if, you know, if, again, if the, if the movie ends after he commits suicide, then I'm like, Oh shit. Like, I guess, you know, I was wrong about that, but because it ended the way that it did, I was like, okay, right. Like it, it was the same gun. And like, he, you know, that, it's like you know in in probably what's supposed to be like the most like tense moment i'm kind of like I, I just don't buy it right now isn't this the gun that he pulls out of like the tom sawyer book in his library i don't think the gun was given to him by by them that sounds that sounds right to oh, me. oh is that what he got from the t- it was to kill a mockingbird sure or, that one I'm sure. Yeah, yeah 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 no it's it's after his like he goes he gets back from mexico he goes to his house he like jumps mm-hmm. the fence at his place. I saw that. Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, okay, I, I might have slightly misunderstood that. I guess I obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, so maybe like I, I can't like make this claim now. But I also feel like with everything they clearly knew about him, you know, he he also like wouldn't have had the gun if they didn't want him to have the gun. But obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, so I can't like fully make that claim. So maybe I'm just I, I just didn't get that part. My bad. It's not totally unforeseeable, but it is not necessarily i don't think it's by any measure intuitive to figure out and i think also the problem with like all the twists that are happening towards the end of the movie is that like all right some of them are definitely foreseeable like i think that it's all like like the concept of it's all a game it is like there it's like tangible and you can get there if you think long enough about it and you like really break things down i think the the problem more lies with this idea that like what's going to happen is that even in the final moment still a game when he's like he shot he shot conrad he's like about to jump off the roof he jumps down it's just like hit after hit after hit after hit and you're just like it just keeps going on further and further and further than you probably would have anticipated and so i i find it kind of exhausting almost in that sense and and i think it's difficult to say even if you knew going into like the final you know climactic scene if you knew or suspected that it was all game, would you still feel that way? Like right up until the last moment when it's revealed? Like, I, I think that you have a hard time doing that. Perhaps. I mean, like, I don't know. Again, like my, perhaps I'm, I'm unwilling to give this any like props is just because again, like to me, like I'm not giving it props. Is, no, I'm saying sure, it's difficult. Or, or whatnot. Just, it's just that again, the concept of this is so messed up because also like we haven't really addressed this. Like he, his father died by throwing himself off a roof. Right. Yeah. Like, and like when they started using that, like in the beginning to mess with them, I'm kind of like, that is really like, you know, effed up. And I'm like, okay, but I'm like, okay, like I, this is, this is part of it, you know, like just trying to be like, okay, fine. But again, like the fact that they, that they, that they drive them to this end again, it's just so not cool with me <laughs> that, you know, I'm, I don't know, like I, I'm going to have a hard time. I don't know. Like, I, I, I think you said it best when you said, yeah, like, you know, there's, it's it's all in there that like this might be a game or that this is a game. It's not necessarily obvious, but it's also not like impossible for so, yeah, I think you said it. Yeah, it's like it's That's like how far are you willing to believe that it's going to keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going? Like even even if you can even if you can recognize the like that something's off and you can maybe like have a suspicion about what it is. Like, are you still going to feel that way? Like 
after they're on the roof with the revolver that you think is his and not theirs, are you still going to feel that way after they open the door and shoot, you know, shoot him, I mean, uh, shoot Conrad? Again, are you going to feel I'm that way when he's about to throw himself and, off the building? The thing. I, I think I'm there until he throws himself off the roof, but then he like, you know, then he lands on a big X and I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Like, like how does he get all of these people to like be involved well, in this? I mean, like too, this right? is such like, a huge operation. Like, what is it about like all these people that they're like, sure. I mean, I, I guess he's probably giving them a lot of money maybe because they're rich, but because I guess Conrad's probably yeah, rich I like too, how they but... like lightly allude to that at the end. Like, wow, like that was a big bill. Like, you know, who you, like, you want yeah. to split it with you? Like how many like tens of millions of dollars of this cost? Like I'm, I'm, I'm seriously asking. Do you, like, Money's really, not an object when you're bored I, like this guy is. I really want to know how much money this costs. Like, and his brother paid for it. Who it doesn't like... Did I did I miss this? Like his brother's not like. They're both really cool. yeah, I mean their dad was also like a millionaire, billionaire. That's how I, that's what I interpreted at least. Well, so Michael Douglas said something about like six hundred million dollars. It was his like bank accounts or something. So like I mean, but that but that yeah, also poor. It, never mind. It seems well. I'm just saying like it seems like that was all like hey, like like he built most of that on his own, right? Like after being like a ruthless whatever, and that his brother was just kind of like a, you know, I have money, but like I. Like I'm not six hundred million. I don't know. Like again, like in my mind, like this this prank cost at least ten million dollars. Like I I want someone to do the math. I want. Jay, I've got some bad news for you. What? It's not real. <laughs> yeah, I, I think film. we might be getting <laughs> slightly off track, but uh, I do think these are interesting points. To but bring you, up. okay, but you brought it up. You were like, how do you get no, all these I people did. to go along? And I'm saying, like, I this didn't makes think we were going to no go that far down the road. <laughs> all right, fine, fine. I'll, I'll I'll stop. I'm 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 being a stick in the mud. I get it. No, you're you're good. But um, I do want to I do want to bring up as well um, because I did think a little bit about Christopher Nolan a little bit when I was watching this because at times this does how feel... much better he is about twists in his films. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> go off, you you simps for Nolan. But um, yeah, I, I thought about it because it do, does remind me of like a, one of his puzzle box movies, right? Where uh, where you know he's just setting up this really tangled web and everything, and you know there are twists coming or whatever. Um, and yeah, they're usually more effective than, than they were here. But, um, did you guys think about that at all? You know, do you, do you see any similarities here between, you know, maybe the structure of the movie or what it's going for, um, with like, you know, a memento or a prestige or something like that? Again, one of his like puzzle box movies. I think it's, no. I think it's, it's probably closer, right. To the prestige. I mean, it's weird to compare them. Cause like. I mean, 1997, isn't that the year that following came out? So, like, Nolan just made his first film. Um, and I think it was 98 or 99, but yeah. Sure. So, the point the point being that I think this came before. It definitely reminded yeah. me a lot more of, like, a Hitchcock feel, to be honest, than it did. Mm. Oh, yeah, totally. Hitchcock is all over it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I felt more like that. I mean, certain. I think, like, if you had to compare it to a Nolan film, I think it's probably, for me, probably closest to The Prestige because... I think Memento is just like its own, like you just unique format of, you know, puzzle box type of movie where it's it's hard to compare something that just feels so very linear in nature. Uh, it's kind of like this one is and involves very little actual guesswork because like in that movie, you're actually trying to piece things together. This one is it feels much more like I guess the, the way that I describe it is that Nolan's films and the way that he goes about puzzle boxes. And I'm not even saying that this is this makes it better or worse. I'm just saying the way that I view it is that he wants you to be an active participant in the film. Like he wants you to be thinking about the things that are going on. Like he's definitely holding, you know, cards close to his chest and you're not going to probably figure things out until he wants you to figure them out. 
but I think that the way that that Nolan engages you is you become this very active participant. And, and I really feel like even with Seven, I think this movie, Fight Club even as well, I, I don't feel like you're an active participant in these films. I feel like you're meant to sit back and be a, a passive you know, viewer of the film. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that that's the way that, that I've always felt with Hitchcock. It's the way I've always felt with you know directors and, and um, filmmakers with similar, with similar sensibilities as Hitchcock. And I think that's definitely what Fincher is tapping into here in this first few, you know, the first few films that, that he's making. And I think this one maybe is even the the one that's, that's most recognizable in that. And that, yeah, no, I, I think, I think, I think that's a fair point to make. Uh, I, I don't think that like there are huge similarities or anything, but it did occur to me that, um, the, that there were, you know, at, at least again, he, it's, it's a puzzle box type movie, uh, in a way that like he's, you know, fitting a bunch of pieces together, but you don't know, you know that there's going to be some kind of twist in the end, but uh, you don't know exactly what. Um, and and it's like, because you're like, you're a, like you're essentially, you have the same level of knowledge as this character that you're following. It's true for seven. It's true for this film. Um, it's a little, it's a little different case in fight club, I suppose. But um, like, you really are getting the experience of, in this case, like of Nicholas Van Orton, and he is not very knowledgeable. Whereas these other films that, that Nolan is doing, and, that, and that's true for Hitchcock's characters. If you're, you know, watching them like rear window or North by Northwest, like you're going through these experiences with these, with these people that um, like they, they themselves are almost passive to the situations that they find themselves in. And uh, it's Nolan, it, it doesn't, I mean, I can't even think of a film that feels that way with Nolan. It feels like everyone's being very active, very, you know, very, uh, they have a lot of agency. It feels like in sort of the puzzle box. Of yeah. It's film. not that things aren't just happening to them. Like they yeah. are to uh, Nicholas Van Orden in this movie. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's fair to say. Um, anything else that you guys want to say about this movie before we, uh, move into the wrap up? Like I said, I think there's not much to go too deep on in this movie. So maybe a, a little bit of a shorter discussion than usual, but is, is this, uh, is this the worst film for you since, uh, since the rise of Skywalker? I was going to make that joke. Um, <laughs> yes, it is the worst film for me since the rise of Skywalker. All right. Fair enough. Um, well, can, can I at least ask you to dig deep and, and come up with a favorite scene? I think you, I think you actually mentioned one earlier, but uh, what was your favorite? Yeah, scene I mean, I, I, I think I, I alluded to two. Um, just to pick one, I'll go with uh, when uh, he, uh, when Michael Douglas is in the house and starting to realize uh, in the house in uh, Deborah Unger's house and is starting to realize like everything's been staged with like the fake books and the fake picture and the empty fridge and freezer, like just the way you know the tension starts to build, like the atmosphere gets like really creepy and the music starts to like kind of creep in it. Uh, that, that, that was a probably my favorite scene. If, if not the, you know, fight between Sean Penn and Michael Douglas on the stairs. Yeah. I think there's, you know, a couple of those really heavy tension building moments that I think really work. And I think we've kind of talked about the ones that struck that resonated the most with me since I know what your favorite scene is. I won't, I won't take it because I was actually going to say that scene, but um, I think the other one then is, is just sort of the build up towards this sort of standoff at, you know, Christine's uh, apartment, Deborah Unger's apartment. And again, Jay, you were talking about it earlier, how you really appreciated the way that scene builds tension um, as you realize, you know, with Michael Douglas's character that not only is something not right here, but there's something very wrong here and that this is all just all just for show. So I think that I really liked those moments. And, and again, I think the film flourishes in those moments. I mean, one we didn't talk about was them trying to escape from the CRS building after they go to the hospital. Um, I think that works pretty well, but that's a little bit more of a stretched out sequence. And I think that it captures it a little bit better 
uh, in that scene in, in Christine's apartment, if you just had to pick one. Yeah. Uh, one small moment I, I liked is, you know, during the scene where he's at the diner with his ex-wife and they see the infomercial and he realizes that James Rebhorn's character is actually an actor. Do you, Scott, I want to see he's if you can guess. Do you know the, the movie scene that that reminded me of? Uh, Pulp Fiction? I don't know. Isn't there a scene in Pulp no. Fiction that's like that? In, in Searching, it, it reminds me of In Searching when you uh, mm. realize that Fish and Chips is actually the woman in like the... Yeah. The, advertisement that pops up on the funeral uh like, like the, the stock photograph or whatever that pops yeah. up on the funeral website but i don't know it, it reminded me of that but um but then, yeah. watch this, that movie after this yeah uh, f- fair enough but uh my favorite scene is yeah is the black light scene in the house i yeah. think it's really creepy which feels a little you know different from the more action driven stuff in the rest of the movie i like the use of white rabbit not just because it's a great song, but it's also very atmospheric. Um, so I think that's a, that's a really effective scene. All right, uh, let's hear where this falls on the J. Habib adjusted scale. This film can drive itself off a cliff, shoot his brother, and then throw itself off a roof. Um, 5.1. Wow. 5.1. <laughs> okay, well, what did you give? That's got to be the lowest scored movie that... That's the lowest. Rise of Skywalker is the only movie I've given a lower score to that we've done on this. Are you sure about that? I'm not sure you did give a lower score to. You had you had to like pry it out of me, but I did. Okay, Um, but you do admit either way. You do admit this is worse, or that Rise of Skywalker is worse than this. Yes, 100. I'm not. I'm not going to fight that at all. The classic comparison: the game or Rise of Skywalker, which is better? Um, Scott, how about you? Where where do you score this? Uh, Not quite a 3.0 which is what I gave Rise of Skywalker, yeah. I think. Uh, no, this film is a, a 6.2. There, there is a lot to like about this film. I just do think that it completely loses itself in the last 30 yeah. minutes. 7.5 for me. It is enjoyable. Um, it, you know, I, I've expressed the the problems that I, I have with it, but I went with it a l- longer way than you guys did, I think. Like, like I said, it was only after, like, the jumping off the roof, that is when it finally did lose me. And I was like, okay, come on. Um, so I, I went I went a long way with it. It's not Elite Fincher, but it's a solid movie. Um, it's not Elite right. Fincher. It's probably, well, I guess, I guess it depends on your opinion of the movie we're going to review next week, but there you go. Yeah, well, look, the... I don't think I say it's not elite Fincher. And I think that is pretty much the common consensus. Like, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone out there who would say that. The I was game saying it was, like I was saying that's a very generous. I think that's a very positive spin to put on the yeah. that it's not, not elite. <laughs> yeah, no. I, yeah, and yeah, to, to finish my point, I think that you'd, you'd be hard pressed to find that anyone out there who would say that this is a, t- a top three Fincher movie. I think, like Roger I said, like I said up front, like with the exception of of seven and yeah, maybe the movie that we're going to talk about next time slash that we've already talked about. Um, I think most people feel that his best movies are, are further down the pipeline. So um, we'll be getting to those in due time. But uh, until then, uh, I think that should just about do it for this episode of uh, of some like it, Scott, of, of uh, the countdown of the Fincher countdown. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you have and you'd like to support us, please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash media plug pods. You can support us over there. Um, if Even if you can't support us, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all the things you do on your preferred podcast app. Also check out our other podcasts right here in the Some Like It Scott feed where you found this podcast. Champs Lunch and Some Like It Scott uh, are right here as well. Um, so, so check out 
all of those as well. And we hope you will join us for our next episode of the Fincher Countdown, on which we will be reviewing the 1999 psychological thriller Fight Club. Uh, but until then, for Jay Habib and Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time.